Hodgepodge, a thick and nourishing vegetable stew with origins from the East Coast, particularly Nova Scotia. It's name coming from an English term meaning mixture. Welcome to our Hodgepodgecast, an end-of-the-road beginnings production, where we explore and discuss a wide range of topics from the culinary and entrepreneurial worlds, stories from our past, journeys into the future, interviews and insights with friends and guests, and just about anything else we find interesting. I'm Nikki. And I'm Adam. And we're both so happy that you found us. Through this podcast, we hope you get to know us more, both personally and professionally, and we hope you enjoy following along in our adventures. If we're lucky, we're going to make some wonderful connections along the way. With that being said, and since we're all here now, let's get some HodgePodgeCast on the stove. Welcome to our HodgePodgeCast. It's Nikki and Adam here again. Thank you for tuning in to our second official episode of our very first podcast. Uh, Hopefully a lot of you are second time listeners and caught the first episode we released. Um, And if you're new, there is uh, one more episode before this, but we're just getting started. This is our origin story series. So in the very first installment, uh, we told you kind of an overview of who we are and what we want to do with this, uh, but we didn't really get into the nuts and bolts of who we are. So in this episode and the next episode, uh, we'll venture into both our past up until the point we cross paths in northern Manitoba in 2015. This is my episode. So once we get past diapers to high school diplomas, which won't take long, trust me, uh, it will take a pretty drastic turn into mostly food related stuff. Um, I have lots of stories and experiences from my time in kitchens, and I'm sure they'll all eventually come out at some point throughout the life of this podcast. So I get to be interviewer today, even though I know most of your history, I'm pretty excited. And she was a private investigator after all. That was a hardcore spoiler. We'll get into that next episode. But today, let's get to know my husband. All right. So I want to start this podcast by saying uh, this was a hard one. Um, I write outlines for these podcasts and this is supposed to be all about me. So essentially, I said to myself, um, write your spoken word autobiography uh, and uh, give it in one afternoon in an hour-long podcast. Um, So I thought that was a pretty hard thing to do. Um, So I thought about key moments or events that have shaped me over the last 36 years without getting too messy but still being authentic to who I am now while talking about the past. This was a little bit of a difficult process, but I found it to be an overall positive exercise to look back and see the progression and growth along my way uh, in my career and my life in general. Uh, My family and upbringing laid the groundwork, and even if I didn't know it at the time, for me to be a successful chef and thrive in, in this hectic kitchen life, um, growing up in a family of six was, was very important. Uh, it taught me a lot. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of give that little disclaimer before we really got into it. Um, but, uh, well, you know, I like a good structured plan, so why don't we start (laughs) right at the beginning? All right. Well, uh, yeah, I was, I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, in September, uh, in 1984. Um, I moved before I was 
any kind of a, an age where I could remember anything. Um, from Winnipeg. Yeah, from Winnipeg. Um, so I'm a Todd. Uh, and, and my family is a military family. So my dad was in the Air Force. Um, he actually met my mom through the Air Force. Um, that's a, a, a cool, unique story uh, in a way, too. Um, they met at a dance. Uh, my Your mom, mom was a nurse. My student. mom was a nurse uh, student uh, at uh, Mount Royal College um, in Montreal. And my dad was going to military school um, outside of Montreal. And they, uh, they met at a dance. And uh, because of that dance, uh, I was born. <laughs> Wasn't it like a blind date setup or something? Yeah, they had a they had a friend. My dad had a friend um, that went to the meet and greet because uh, my dad could not attend, and uh, and his friend picked out uh, my dad's future wife <laughs> and my mom. So I don't know the guy's name, but uh, thanks that guy. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of a it's kind of a cool story. I really really like that story about how my parents met. But anyways, my my dad was in in the Air Force and we we moved around a lot um i'm the fourth of four kids um i've got two older brothers and an older sister um and we moved around every couple of years um until i was born and 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 my dad got out of the air force shortly after we we moved to ottawa and i lived in ottawa as a baby again an infant i don't really remember anything one of my first kind of memories was I think a Chuck E. Cheese in Ottawa somehow I don't know um, but then all of a sudden uh, I have like vivid memories of showing up in Halifax Nova Scotia where we moved um, you, you guys have a pretty well maybe it's not unique to military families but you guys have a pretty unique uh, aspect to your family of where you all were born yeah, that's right. Uh, we we were all my immediate family was all born in different provinces. So every single one, of every them. single one of us. So my parents, my dad was born in New Brunswick, and my mom was born in uh, in Quebec. Um, then my first brother was born in BC. My second brother was born in uh, Alberta. My sister was born in Nova Scotia, and I was born in Manitoba. So we're kind of all over the place. And now you were born in. We'll <laughs> yeah, get... we're, we're carrying on the tradition because I was born in Ontario, and our cats were born in Alberta. <laughs> yeah. So we maybe maybe on the Saskatchewan border. So maybe, maybe yeah. we can claim them as Saskatchewan also. But we're 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 filling all of the the checks for across Canada. But so yeah, my family is from all over the country. Um, but when we moved to Nova Scotia, my dad got out of the military at that point and took a civilian job, and uh, that's kind of where we set up shop as a family. Um, we stopped moving around at that point. Um, and that was in 89. Yeah, that was in 89. I was, I just turned four years old. Um, and we, we had to spend a month in a hotel uh, because the house wasn't ready to be moved in. But we moved, uh, we moved in a couple days before Christmas. I think it was like December 20th that we moved in. Um, and yeah, so, so we moved into, uh, to Bedford, Nova Scotia. Uh, it's just outside of Halifax. And that's where I grew up. Um, you know, I, I had a, a regular, normal uh, uh, childhood, you know, I was involved in a lot of sports on, 
on the weekend mornings, my, me and my neighbor friends would, would run in the woods and play guns and, and build forts and, and, you know, street hockey. And, and so, you know, very regular childhood. Um, I, I was the fourth of four, so my parents had seen, you know, <laughs> a lot before me. So nothing, <laughs> yeah, nothing much phased them really. And also, you know, I kind of knew how to, to work around the system because I had, uh, I had three older siblings who could give me advice if needed. I just picture you as like a very miniature version of what I know now. Like <laughs> yeah. wild hair running around eating candy with like your little storytelling grin and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, that pretty much describes me as a, as a youngster. Funny songs and dances. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that <laughs> stuff too, but. Um, yeah, no, I had, I had a couple of really close friends that lived really close by and we spent a lot of time together and, uh, that was back in like old suburb neighborhoods where kids would play out in the forest and the streets and like yeah. actually go outside and play. Yeah. And, uh, and we were talking about this a couple of days ago, but I remember being a kid, um, my mom, like I said, was a nurse, uh, and sometimes she worked overnights. So which when she would work overnights uh she would sleep during the day and they'd usually you know have a couple of shifts in a row um so she could kind of get on a schedule but if it was a rainy day and a weekend it was the worst because we had to be quiet in the house we weren't allowed to call our friends because we weren't able to invite them over to our house to play um but so you know we were just always waiting by the phone to have our neighbors you know justin or or, or Matt or, or Adam or Jamie or any of the, the kids that I grew up, we were just hoping that they would call so we could maybe be invited over to their house. <laughs> it was it was kind of funny, but, uh, you know, so my sister and I, if we didn't get those calls, we'd play crib or, or you know, pl play some board games or watch a, a Disney movie for the 100 millionth time, but uh, on VHS. So, you know, we, we always kept ourselves occupied. I, I, you know... I had a wonderful childhood and then like growing up in Bedford, it was a really nice community. Um, you know, I just got to kind of explore and be a kid and not really worry about too much. Um, and, and, you know, going through, uh, you know, the same educational system in Bedford, like going from school to school to school, um, I was able to make friends and and you know really kind of start being involved in things and and in my my love of sports when I was younger like I played pretty much everything um, you know through school I played soccer and football badminton cheerleading uh, yes you, you heard, heard that right he was I a was, cheerleader I was the MVP of my high school <laughs> cheerleading team in grade 12 and uh I, I used to break dance. Um, I was auxiliary student council. I was never officially, but I would always hang out with, with the kids and, you know, student council. So I was very active in school. I did, I volunteered a lot to do, like, uh, I, I ran the recycling program at my high school. I have very proud moments of high school. It was fun. Like, you know, I wasn't the most popular person or whatever, but I, I enjoyed my time in high school. Um, and you were decently involved in sports. Like, you weren't, like bench warmer you were you were 
you played yeah whatever leagues so. yeah I, I played i played uh you know i was okay at sports i mean <laughs> like there's I, I excelled at football because i was a little bit of a bigger kid and you know um i was a i played soccer so i was also good at kicking and so that's what i did in football i did a lot of kicking and i did a lot of hitting so one of my best friends growing up adam lovely one one year we were playing uh, where I was fullback and he was tailback in our in our setup and the football was I would run and hit people in the line and knock them out of the way and then he would run in the touchdown because <laughs> he was quicker and I was I was bigger and had more weight to throw around but but anyway so I, I played a lot of sports you know um, did you say you break dance yeah I, I, I was a <laughs> I used to break dance too shout out Mr Zink uh, he was my drama teacher in grade twelve and like. He was just a really cool, fun-loving, you know, younger teacher. Um, he was really active in the students' lives, and and he was just he was a really cool guy. And and you know, he started a, a breakdancing club because um, he was he was actually hearing impaired um, so much where he had the cochlear implants um, in his ear. Uh, but he would go to raves because he could feel the music and he would tell us about these raves and and you know he would keep out any any uh, non high school Adults. appropriate <laughs> material about what happened at raves but he was just there for like uh, the entertainment and in the music and feeling it and break dancing he was very about movement and and as a drama teacher drama teacher he uh <laughs> Nikki just gave me a look like did you just say drama teacher <laughs> uh but as a drama teacher he you know it was all about movement and and you know I had fun in productions that he he put on um and actually he was my grade 10 drama teacher drama teacher <laughs> now it's in my head um but uh, but yeah, so I learned a lot from him. Breakdancing was about confidence, and like it was just fun. We would go to uh, junior highs and teach uh, exploratory. So on Friday afternoons, they would have the afternoon off and choose an elective to do for uh, a couple of weeks at a time. And we would go to junior highs and teach young people about hip hop culture and and break dancing and and stuff and and so we had a cool little little uh, little side project going on there it was it was a lot of fun um, but that kind of actually in a way inspired me to really get involved with working with youth so when I was in grade 12 um, you know, everybody's looking for volunteer hours to get into to a university. Did you guys have to do that as part of your curriculum? Like X amount of... I know we did in Ontario, but I don't know if that was... No, it wasn't part of our curriculum per se, but everybody kind of knew that, you know, a job experience or volunteer experience was going to help you get into the program that you wanted to. So, um, so yeah, like I, I really enjoyed working with, with you know the younger younger group of people uh they're really enthusiastic um and you know they just they they just were up to to have fun and dance and that's so that anyways that kind of just inspired me to uh to you know try to find another way to kind of get that experience so um there was a there is a um a firehouse that was down the street it was a decommissioned fire hall um, and uh, they turned it into the community of Bedford turned it into the firehouse youth center 
Um, and I thought that'd be a really cool opportunity to, uh, to give back to the community that I grew up in. Um, and it was just down the hill too. So, you know, it wasn't that far from my house. Uh, it was an easy, easy thing to get to. Um, so I had a lot of fun volunteering at the youth center. Um, and you know, I learned a lot. Um, I, you were only in grade 12. So what age group were they? Um, when I started volunteering, it was really like right at the very beginning, um, where I was kind of like a youth participant volunteer um but you know they took the where they used to park the fire trucks in the bays and they turned it into an indoor skate park and there was a hockey rink like a a floor hockey rink and basketball court and everything so you know i was just there um as a volunteer and just kind of you know hanging out with the kids you were a peer volunteer yeah (laughs) essentially um and you know I ended up working at the youth center um, while I was going to university. Um, you know, I, I had uh, when I was deciding what I wanted to do after high school, um, I was suggested fun time of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, our guidance counselor is what they were called in Nova Scotia. Sat us down, and you know, I had good grades. I had good participation, um, and you know, I wasn't I wasn't afraid to to get up on stage. So my personality kind of lended me to to go into this program of bachelor of public relations at mount st vincent it was a program where there's only i think 80 or 90 people let in at the time and again this is in the whole country in the whole country or just in the program it's the only it's 80 people in the program but it's the only bpr bachelor of public relations in the country and this is at the time i have no idea what it's like now but this was again I graduated in 2002, so um, this is, you know, 18 years ago. I'm sure there's probably more programs, but at the time, you know, it seemed like a really, really good opportunity. I was also kind of floating going to St. FX. They had a good football program there, and, you know, there was a possibility that I could have been involved with that. One of my cousins uh, was involved in that program and played for St. FX uh, football for a couple of years. Um, and, and I really decided that I needed to get a good education. So that's why I went with uh, a good program as opposed to going to school to play football and learn whatever. Yeah. So also I had a scholarship, a small scholarship um, based on my marks and, and kind of activities in, in high school. Um, and so, you know, I got some books covered or something like that. But I went to this program and I was not not very very happy with it um it it just turned out it wasn't for me um you know and for no other reason besides i just didn't feel like it resonated i thought it was what i wanted to do but then when i learned what it really entailed but you were 18 and <laughs> yeah, knows 18, what they want to do and i was at a university with like 90 percent females and so that probably kept you there a little yeah, longer yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Don't play that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, I reconnected with uh, a friend from junior high and high school more closely in in, uh, in university. We went to the Mount together. Um, Kenny Terps. Um, We're just name dropping. If any of these people are listening, yeah, please. <laughs> um, but so, you know, Kenny and I reconnected, and, and so you know, we became really close at that point. Um, and, and I was working at the youth center, um, while going to school and I just kind of stopped 
going to school and going to the youth center even when I wasn't like scheduled to work. I was on a grant. So like, you know, it was X amount of dollars per week. So, you know, I just wanted to spend as much time as I could there. Uh, there was a guy named Colin Wenzel who was running it at that, at that time. And he was a really nice guy. Uh, he was in it for the right reasons. I knew he went to school at Acadia uh, University um, in Nova Scotia for a childhood uh, or ch youth kind of uh, childhood education. you got it childhood yeah. education program and so he was in it for all the good reasons and I just like he was a really big motivating factor so anyways um, I had a good time working at the youth center and I ended up stopping going to school um, and then my grant ran out uh, so at, I the, was, youth at the youth center yeah. so I was volunteering again <laughs> Um, and, and I needed to make some money and I'd made a connection with the people who ran the convenience store next door that all of the kids went to. Uh, we had a little competing candy business. We would try to sell our candy. And then, Why does that not surprise me? Well, you got to raise <laughs> funds for the youth center. But anyway, so I started working there and then, and then all of a sudden, um, there was a job opportunity at the restaurant next door and, and I... You know, the chef would come in and the staff would come in and they'd be all dirty and sweaty and, and just... To the convenience store. To the store. convenience store, sorry. I was working at the convenience store at this time, yeah. And uh, they would come in from next door to get their energy drinks and their smokes and their, their rolling papers and everything to go back to the restaurant and, and you know, clean up for the rest of the night. So um, it was kind of like a pirate crew. And, and I had actually worked at a, at a restaurant um, when I was younger, I worked at a place called Ponderosa Steakhouse. Um, it was kind of like a, a, a low grade, uh, you know, steakhouse. It was just like, a, a, I feel like most people know, yeah, I, guess. I don't, I don't remember any in Ontario, but I know they're around. Yeah. So Ponderosa, Ponderosa doing it better a great deal better anyways that's the th if you're from nova scotia you know that song if you're <laughs> listening um but it was like a it was just this place in bedford and, and it was my first experience it was a you know a really cool look into what uh food service was like and, and this you was, were what like 15 i was like uh, yeah it was probably it was probably 1999 like you know very <laughs> early 2000s and it was my first real job and and, and I loved it. I just, I met interesting people. We worked hard. We had fun. We did something cool with flames. Like we were cooking food and, and, and it just, it was a satisfying job. And little did I know that, you know, a couple of years later, I'd make my career of it. It was just a high school job to, you know, get some money to, to go to the movies or whatever, go to the dance. So, um, but I really enjoyed it. And little did I know, like I said, years later, I would become a chef, but my first real step into becoming a chef was at this place called the lobster ranch um yeah the the chef came in and i and i asked him if he had a job for me and he in said the convenience store. I, when he came into the convenience store I, I asked him if he had a job for me and he kind of looked me up and down for a second and he was just like you can you can start on monday washing dishes and i was like holy this like it actually worked i didn't even have to drop off a resume or anything <laughs> like this guy his name was frank i forget his last name but frank if you're listening frank what what <laughs> um no he was he was a really cool guy a little bit eccentric but like 
really into music and he had like and you were how old now at this point oh, i was probably 18 19 um no probably 19 um but you know it was just a cool environment to be in um again it was like what i'd remembered from ponderosa but like jacked up on steroids and not a family like you know restaurant per se it was a family restaurant but ponderosa has tried to have like a, a well, family and steakhouse and it's called the lobster ranch yeah. like you expect a certain quirkiness yeah when something's called the lobster but yeah, it's in nova scotia so yeah. so it was this this little one-off restaurant in bedford um again down the road from my house um and it was a great place for me to go in and kind of see what the trenches really looked like uh in a restaurant i dishwashed uh for probably three months until frank left and then uh, a new chef came in um and that new chef uh turned out to be one of my best friends my you know eventual he was going to be the best man at, at our wedding um and my mentor and my apprentice chef uh Dave Whalen, um, he came in to the Lobster Ranch. He was, he moved up to Dartmouth from uh, from Bridgewater with his wife. Um, he took this job, and um, it, it it changed my life, literally, uh, the moment I met him. Um, this guy was so different than Frank, um, like complete polar opposite. And I had seen Frank's kitchen and. You know, he had a couple of uh, really good, talented cooks there, but it was it was their club, and Frank was running like he was the he was the chef, but the the boys kind of ran the kitchen themselves. Yeah, uh, and and it was not that Frank couldn't control them; it's just that they couldn't be controlled. They were their own, you know, uh, they had their own way about themselves. So. Um, when Dave came in, he put a stop to it, and that changed. And the like the the staff changed over because Dave had different ways of doing things, um, and and that's where I really learned what it was to be a cook. Um, Dave told me later on, you know, a couple couple months into us working together, um, you know, told me about his story um, and his adventure in, in Manitoba when he was going to culinary school. Manitoba keeps coming up. I know. It's... <laughs> and uh, and so he, he told me um, that he went, uh, you know, to this place called... Um, oh, geez, what's it called? I, my the brain country is... Club? Yeah. St. Charles, my brain is blocking it out. It's kind of one of those <laughs> those things. So St. Charles Country Club. Um, so he went there as part of his co-op for Holland College as a culinary school student. Um, and he said that he was going to send me there one day. I needed to get good enough first, and then he would send me to learn from this guy that he learned from. And, uh, and, and I said, okay, that sounds fun, not knowing, you know what what it really entailed but it that kitchen st charles country club in manitoba made dave the chef that he was and i wanted i wanted to do that i wanted to live that i wanted to to be that chef 
So when he said he was going to send me there at some point, I was very excited. In the meantime, I thought maybe I should start going to culinary school. Um, and so I went to check it out. I went to see what culinary school would look like. And so how long had you worked at the Lobster Ranch when you kind of started? Oh, like, like two taking years. Taking it more serious. Oh, that's... No, it, well, it was actually... Sorry, I guess I, I went to culinary school when I was like 23. So um, I'd worked at the Lobster Ranch for like two years um, and then, you know, had, had moved on to another property with the company. They had another another place in, in, in Halifax called Merrill's. Um, so I was working in there downtown um, and, you know, I'd started kind of venturing more into Halifax proper instead of Bedford where I grew up. Um, but, you know, I'd worked for Dave um, off and on. He's, he became the, the chef at the Hilton at the airport, and I worked for him there. Um, uh, that was after culinary school, but sorry. Backtracking a little bit. Um, I'd worked for this uh, Merrill's place and then started going to culinary school. So I'd been in the business for like four or five years before I started going to culinary school. Um and when I started, I went to, uh, yeah, I went to NSCC, um, Nova Scotia Community College, uh, the Akerley campus in Dartmouth. They had just redone their entire kitchen. Um, it's called the, the Sobeys Culinary Institute. Um, and Sobeys had put a bunch of money into it, and it was a beautiful kitchen. Um, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful facility. And, and I went there on a, they called it a test drive, and I... Um, I went to see the kitchens and talked to some of the, the students there and the teachers. And, and that day they give you, when you go for your test drive, they give you a, a, a coupon to get some lunch in the, the cafeteria, which the culinary students prepare. And I thought I would, uh, I would, you know, try something that I'd never tried before. And, and I got to try some braised lamb shank. And, and from that day on, I knew I needed to go to culinary school to learn how to do that. I needed to, to learn how to become a chef so I could actually... Feed me later in yes, life. Yes. <laughs> it was my destiny to feed Nikki later in life. Um, but, you know, I, I went to culinary school. Um, and, and the first year was... It was it was weird because I knew a lot of the basic skills and so I had a little bit of arrogance and cockiness to me um, because I knew how to hold a knife and I was a 23 year old man with these 17 and 18 year old culinary students just out of high school and, and I had you know I knew how to hold a knife and we got to teach them how to wipe their nose kind of thing and 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 I quickly learned that that's, of course, not the right attitude to have. Um, but one of my teachers, one of my instructors, uh, Chef Sean Ketley, um, he also helped me, like, really take a big step in my life. Um, I think maybe out of spite. I know I was a little <laughs> bit of an asshole, but um, I think I think he sent me to... St. Charles Country Club in Winnipeg, Manitoba to learn for under Takashi Murakami um, how to become a cook. Um, so this weird faded scenario was happening. This serendipitous thing was, was happening. Because him and Dave didn't know each other. 
Dave and Sean didn't know each other at all. I happened to meet Dave on pure coincidence. He happened to take me under his wing and, and, and start schooling me on how to become a chef. And then a couple years later, somebody else that I encounter on my way to becoming a chef for different reasons. <laughs> so you were cocky enough to do different chefs to make them <laughs> send you to the same place. Yes. <laughs> Which happened to be this crazy place called St. Charles Country Club. And there are episodes upon episodes about this place that we could talk about. Oh, yeah. That's, um, we'd be here for days. Yeah. Um, it was it was a crazy experience. So anyways, I'm in culinary school my first, first year. And Chef Ketley says... Have you figured out your co-op yet? And I said, not yet, chef. And he said, take this number, give it a call. So I set up this this co-op. Um, it was I was the first one from Nova Scotia Community College. They yes. used to send two Holland College students there, and I got one of their spots. They so. had a very specific partnership with Holland College. Yeah, and uh, and so I was the first one. And so uh, you know, thank you to Chef Ketley for sending me there because I'm probably wouldn't have been able to get that experience had he not um so i went up and it was a crazy summer lots of stuff happened um and and we're into what year now uh we're we're into my like this is after my first year of culinary school Um, so 2000 2004 yeah and then so i come back from culinary school or sorry from my co-op to do my second year of culinary school and and I had I had been humbled hardly <laughs> very very I was I was humbled very hard over the the summer um, I was shown the error of my ways and I was actually now ready to learn um, and I think I was sent there because hopefully that people saw potential in me and I needed this experience um, but it changed me positively, um, and it made me look at things a little bit differently. Um, you know, it was an old school kitchen. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of yelling and screaming and and uh, um, improvement by shaming, <laughs> and uh, and and I personally learned from that. And, and HR I, wasn't a big department no, yet back in those days. <laughs> no. And, and like I said, I benefited from that. I don't know if that's necessarily the method that I would use it at all ever in the future. Well, I know it's not because I've seen you. <laughs> well, and, you know, I, you, can, you can always revert back to bad habits. And I was. I used to be a yelly chef in my early career. But, like, I've learned over the years that there's there's a lot of things to yell about and you don't need to yell about any of them but anyways that's that's another philosophy but um so my second year was i loved it i loved culinary school so much uh, in my second year uh chef deb connors was a real uh, guiding force for me um you know she worked with me to make sure that that i had a a great second year of culinary school and and gave me the confidence to to go out into the world as a as a young cook and aiming towards becoming a chef and so i did i i went out into the the world of halifax and 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 you know met some some chefs that I you kept working through 
Yeah, I worked at a Boston pizza all through culinary school um, on Granville Street uh, in, in downtown Halifax, right by the Metro Center. So we were always busy late nights. So like I could go to school during the day and then, oh, we got to... Sorry, we live downtown, so you're yeah. going to hear a lot of annoying noises. That actually, last night at like three in the morning, that car or car like it woke me up and... Uh, I, I can't remember. wait to not live downtown so yeah. I can sleep again. Yeah. And uh and and so I forgot where I was. Uh you were working at Boston Pizza. Yeah, I was working at Boston Pizza late and, nights. Yeah, late nights because uh, I could go to school during the day and then go work an 8-hour shift that night and get 2 hours sleep and then go and do it again because I was young and and full of energy and and still new to the game of cooking and I was excited so I could do that um, <laughs> and then I needed to you know get into more of what I was trained to do um, after culinary school so after culinary school I started working at a place called the press gang um, I linked up with with a, a student instructor from school that I, I knew from before school named Ian Milner um, he was, he was another one of my, he was a peer mentor of mine. Like I really looked up to Ian. He was like a TA. Yeah. He deal. was, he helped out with, um, one of the, uh, the chef instructors at NSCC, uh, cause Ian was also a graduate himself. Um, and we just got along. We knew each other outside of school. And so we, you know, we were just interested in similar things. So we got along great. Um, and he had an opportunity to open a champagne uh, or open the kitchen for a champagne bar called Fizz Champagne Bar. And, and it was just him and I and he created this menu and it was a lot of stuff that I'd never seen before. And I was just wondering, you know, at the time I was like, how is he coming up with like all of these creative ideas? And I quickly learned that it was because he, he had apprenticed and worked for a very creative chef himself who showed Ian you know how to look at food differently mm -hmm. um, and that kind of began my relationship with Ray Bear so chef Ray Bear was a is a is a crazy creative chef uh, he's one of the most uh, knowledgeable people that I know about flavors um, and and kind of how they all go together he's 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 very well educated on on almost like the, the, the food profile yeah like the the science almost behind it like why things work so he's he's you know he's a very creative chef um and i started working for him at a place called bear restaurant um and uh, he he has a very uh, long history in, in halifax he grew up just outside of halifax he worked uh, he came up through scanway catering which is a a, a very big um, wide Halifax uh, known company that that's been very well established. Um, um, Uni and Guy, um, they it was a mother and son who eventually came in to run run the the business with her. Um, you know, Ray was a big part of their operation um, from hit the start of his career. They took him in and kind of showed him the kitchen. He eventually became the chef at uh, the Prince George and turned the restaurant Giorgio's into this place called Gio and Gio was was just about the hottest ticket in Halifax for quite some time 
because they they had creative food um, that really thought outside the box and that was all brought by Ray um, and Ray you know had a whole school of of, of students from Prince George from the Geo restaurant like Annalisa who who's a phenomenal pastry chef and Vince um, who's a phenomenal sous chef for Ray at the time and you know he's off doing his own tremendous things still um, Ian Milner and Bichu Bichu Chars uh, last I heard was still the chef at, at uh, Geo but I'm not sure I'm so out of the Halifax food scene right now but uh, you know so he 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 left a lot of legends in his in his wake um, through the Halifax food scene and in a great way like he inspired a lot of people and and you know I like to think I'm one of them too I spent a lot of my formative years grinding out for for Ray on his line and and I loved every minute of it because it showed me that I needed to work um, that I needed to suffer in, in ways because nothing good comes without hardship because you know anything that easy when it comes to food is not worth it um, and i think the creativity from that experience or from the experience of working with him bode well for you as well because you're a creative person well, yeah and and it was it was like working with with somebody who i hoped to to be like at some point and and so now i had like i was doing my apprenticeship for ray at bear restaurant um and you know there was uh some issues with that restaurant uh towards the end there was some ownership problems the owner um that's again something i don't want to i don't even really know the ins and outs fully i was a line cook for him <laughs> but uh um so we you know i ended up working for him at another place uh he started a place called mix fresh kitchen um and you know coincidentally i had worked on that in that restaurant before when it was an under another name called atlantis steak and lobster it was another one of the lobster ranch Uh, well i mean halifax (laughs) is steak and lobsters and and mussels and 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 unfortunately for me you are one of the many east coasters that doesn't even like lobster and seafood and i blame the lobster ranch for that since you've blamed it to me on them (laughs) yeah well i i've cooked so many mussels so many lobsters um that i just i i'm over it i'm over it i appreciate that you cook it for me but i just it blows my mind how many east coasters don't like seafood yeah it's like whatever no give me some steak (laughs) but uh but yeah, so that was, you know, I start, I had, at that point, I had two really good mentors in my life for me becoming a chef, um, Ray and Dave. Um, and I started my apprenticeship with Ray, and I learned a lot of creative stuff. Um, and then I finished my apprenticeship with Dave, who, who taught me a lot more about being a manager. Um, and, and, you know, I use both equally. And without either of them... I feel like Dave's influence is a lot of the reason why we're uh, such a perfect couple because he showed you order and organization and uh, lists and prep lists. And uh, thanks, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Dave definitely um, also trained me to be a good husband for you, too. So. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I, was, I was in Halifax and I was young and I was living the life. And I was a young chef working towards my my Red Seal, um, and I got it. I got it in 2011. That's why my email is chef Adam Todd 2011. 
because I was like, I'm a chef now. I got to drop my Addo underscore Todd one, uh, my, my kitty email address. So I was a chef now. So um, I got my red seal um, after finishing my apprenticeship. Um, yeah, I think April of 2011. And by the summer, I had a job as a chef kind of transforming uh, an old restaurant called, um, uh, what was it? Key Largo's. It was called Key Largo's. Oh, this was before you took over. Yeah, it was called Key Largo's um, before I got there. And, and, you know, it was the place that me and my, my high school friends would go for wings on wing night, you know, 10 cent wings. We would go with a bunch of guys from high school um, and we would just pile into the bar and get our our pitchers of pop and and as many wings as we could eat and it was just this old dirty like you know place in 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 bears lake business like the places park that always have good wings yeah like, yeah that's all you go there for yeah exactly and they, they have a wing night once a week and that's the only time they're busy or maybe it was twice a week but anyways they the a new owner had bought it and wanted to change it into this place called clay west because it was in clayton park and it was in west halifax so um so we wanted Clay West, and and actually, I think it's still going right now. There's still elements of my menu on that, but really? yeah, a couple of little ones, yeah. Um, you know, nine years later, um, you know, I'm sure it's still the same place it was, um, but uh, you know, it was a really fun, cool experience for me. I got my first chance to make a menu that would be consistently served because in in uh, culinary school we would make menus. Um, and you'd serve them once or twice and then be done with it. But this was a sustaining menu that would have to be, you know. Yeah, it was a restaurant. It was a restaurant. So it was a cool thing for me. I got to, I got to really put my brain into it um, and, and, you know, really kind of put my style on, on the plate. And again, I was, you know, still a young, eager chef. And, you know, I did things that I, you know, probably, um, you know, shouldn't have done in terms of menu, like, but you know i was ambitious and i tried and it was it was a tough job and you know the the owner and i you know eventually didn't get along because we had different you know views of the place but it was his place so you know eventually i was no longer there um but again it gave me more experience and more confidence that you know i, I had some good reviews in the paper and that you know that i was doing what i needed to do even if this owner didn't think so um, and, and I also knew that I still needed to do some learning and some growing. Um, and that's when I linked back up with Dave at the, the Hilton. Um, and, you know, I still needed to, to learn some more managerial and leadership skills. So I worked with him for a bit. Um, and then I went to this place called the Bicycle Thief. Um, mm. If anybody knows the Bicycle Thief, it is part of a, um, a, a restaurant group. Um, that was owned by the Bertozzi's and they, they owned uh, Il Mercado in Halifax, Pizza Amano, um, there was an Il Mercado in Bedford. Um, this, uh, the Bicycle Thief was Bish. It was called Bish because it's on Bishop's Landing before it became the Bicycle Thief. But that was, Bish was the place that my parents would go for like big anniversaries. Yeah, the Bicycle Thief is one of the best restaurants in Halifax. Yeah, like... and they, they changed it to become more of a, an everyday restaurant um, with really good Italian food. Mm -hmm. Nikki. And like I 
do not overly enjoy going out for Italian food because I'm Italian. That's what I have at home all the time. <laughs> but this place is, um, you know, I love food. I love eating. So to ask me, you know, what one of my favorite restaurants is, it's it's hard to pick because I just, I love food so much. But the, the Bicycle Thief is a, a standout that always jumps to the forefront of of my mind when I'm talking about restaurants. Yeah, we always stop in. Um, the thing about this place, it was just incredible customer service. A quick little story about this place, The Bicycle Thief. Um, so when I graduated from culinary school, uh, my parents said, where do you want to go for dinner? We'll go. Um, and it was when I got my red seal, actually. Um, so I said, I want to go to The Bicycle Thief. I've never been here. So we went and um, my parents uh, had, a, had a gift for me there. Um, but what we, we were sat and you know we had a lovely meal. And then when I go back to apply for the bicycle thief job, I give my resume to this guy. Which was like years later. Year, yeah, it was maybe two years later. Um, this guy, his name was, uh, we called him H, but his name was Hakan. And, um, he was, I thought he was just a, like a, a maitre d' or, or a host, um, but I think he was the general manager. But regardless, when I came in and handed him my resume, he looked at me, he looked at my name on the resume, and he said, were you here a couple of years ago with your parents for your Red Seal graduation? And they had a, a picture for you that had a Red Seal on the outside, and you sat in this booth? <laughs> And I looked at him like, like he was crazy. And, and I was like, yes to all of that. You were super creeped out. I was, I was like, uh, so he was one of my first experiences. And that was one of my first experiences, really understanding what hospitality is about. Um, and I, at that point, would have taken that job for zero pay because this was an opportunity to work for a, a, a very large company in terms of Halifax and a very large company in terms of reputation and, and ability to learn and grow. And I, I needed to, to work there. Um, so I did, I, I got a job. I started, they were very busy. When I started there, it was tall ships and in Halifax, they have this thing called tall ships. Um, it happens, I think, every four years. But, you know, the Blue Nose and all these different schooners from around the world have a race. And they usually stop in Halifax. And it's a big, big thing. People come from all over the world to see the boats in Halifax. And this place was extremely busy. And in my first week, I remember working like 70 hours, like in the first week. And they're closed on Sundays. Uh, the Bicycle Thief and all the Bertozzi restaurants never operated on Sundays. Yay, yeah, he said, if I can't make <laughs> enough money in six days a week, the seventh isn't going to help. Stay home and be with your family. And again, I knew I was working for a really good employer at that point. Um, and, you know, busy first week after Tall Ships was over, I remember he walked around uh, Maurizio, he was the, the chef. He was a, he's an old, old Italian dude. He'd tell us stories about him and his monkey that used to drink <laughs> it, it back home in Italy when he was a kid. And, and like, he just like, that was, that was the first time I really experienced like an authentic uh, Italian person in front <laughs> of me. And like, 
I don't know. I just this just clued in like like I was training for this my whole life to be married to you. Um, but you know, in in it's funny he he moved to Hamilton too, so yeah. <laughs> where all the uh, Italians kind of congregate in in Ontario. But, um, so Maurizio was was such an amazing chef, um, and he had a great team of people supporting him. And the way he got that great team was he was a he was a very fair employer. If you needed a if you needed anything, you could go to him, and he he made you feel like you could. And it was it was you know, it was a very high intensity restaurant um, because it was a lot of high stakes. It was a very popular restaurant, and every move that you make was important. And he understood that. As a business, him and his wife Stephanie really ran really amazing businesses um, because they made sure they were properly staffed. Um, every waiter or waitress. They had, they had the mentality of like, take care of your staff and your staff will take care of your yes, customers. Yeah. Guests, and, so. and, you know, if we were overstaffed, we would not send people home because we would be busy later on. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we would not make the mistakes that a lot of restaurants make. They, they wouldn't cut short. Um, they did what they needed to do. If we needed a piece of equipment, it was fixed. And, and they had the reputation in the city of being that, that company and being that employer. So I worked for them for a while until I got another opportunity. I was asked to go back by the chef at the Hilton. Dave had moved on at this point, um, and the new chef at the Hilton needed some experienced guns for his team, so he asked me to come back um, to help him out uh, to kind of get the kitchen sorted out. So I, I left the bicycle thief to go do that. Um, and when I kind of done the work that I had set out to do at the yeah. Hilton, um, I went right back to the bicycle thief, and I, you know, I. I was working at the nights, night shift, the busy dinner rushes before, and then this time I came back and 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 I was I had a different position. I worked mornings. I made pasta. I made the fresh pasta um, every day. Red oh. raviolis. Yeah, <laughs> like like it was it was just it was a really good job, and I could work some nights too because it was busy, and when they needed help, I could stick around. So it was a really great job, but I come to a point in my career and in my life where I needed to kind of make a really big change. I was almost 30 and I needed to to branch out a bit. I needed to explore. Um, and that's when I started looking into working um, in remote camps and, and going out to the oil patch. like. And your brothers too like probably helped... Um kind of diversify your thoughts into different work things because they were already out here in Alberta which is very prevalent for you know yeah a lot of a lot of there's a lot of east coast brain drain to uh the western provinces or at least back then I I don't know what you know the mentality is now but um my brothers started moving out to the west coast or Alberta um you know, a couple of years before I did, and and we kind of as a as a bro- team of brothers had a natural or uh, had had a had a plan to kind of get us out here. So my brother Andrew came out first, set up shop, and then Jay came out, and then I came out, and and you know I was uh, the plan was I was gonna work in a remote site in Fort Mac, and I I got 
I, you know, put some time into to researching it and knew that this was something I wanted to do. I wanted a different experience than cooking in restaurants. I'd been doing that for years, slugging it out. I was starting to get tired and my my knees and my bones and I knew that I did not want to do that for the rest of my life and I needed to start making a change in my career to become more of a manager so I came out to Fort Mac um, it was a really difficult time in my life I you know I, I left Halifax to to explore and to leave some things behind um, but it was just a really difficult transition for me um, because, again, you know, I, I'd worked long shifts and many days in a row, but this was living in a place that wasn't mine for 21 days. I think it was 2010 was my rotation at Fort Mac. But anyways, like it, complete change of, of scenery. Complete yeah, like culture shock. Culture like shock. <laughs> like oh, yeah, just... everything. Like I'd, I'd never experienced anything and I didn't manage that well. Um, you know, I was working 16 hours a day, um, sleeping for three or four. Um, and you know, it was, it was, a, so I worked for this company called Neralta Lodges. Um, I don't know if Neralta is a company anymore, but I don't know. anyways, they're, they're a company that, that rents, they, they kind of operate hotels for, um, for, you know, uh, oil patch workers. So they have a site where they had five different lodges and each lodge held anywhere between 450 to 750 people. So there was like a couple thousand people living on this big site. Um, and you know, each lodge was independent from each other, but you know, there was support amongst the staff between the lodges because we were all working for the same company. Um, but it was just, yeah, complete culture shock. I'd gone from working from mom and pop restaurants or, a, you know, a small organization uh, to this big, you know, company with health and safety. And it was a construction site. And, you know, there's all these different things. It doesn't help that, like, fly in, fly out jobs are just another world onto themselves. Yeah. Like, there's just... There's no semblance. <laughs> it's it's a world that you only it, you, you have to see to believe yeah. almost. Um, and we're, we'll try and talk about that in a in a couple episodes Later. from now. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, the point of the story is my my time with Neralta was about you know just shy of four months, um, and I worked myself to the bone, and I kind of blew myself out a little bit, and like I just needed to recoup. So I went back to Grand Prairie. Um, where my brothers were based out of and I kind of crashed with them for a couple of months while I figured my stuff out um, You know, I worked for a, a, a pub called Mad Hatters, but you know, they were a busy pub and there was a lot of Country concerts going on in Grand Prairie that summer Nikki's pumping her fist while she's taking a, a drink of water But you know, there's there's a lot of there's the Pomeroy, you know, Chuck wagon this or whatever so I got to do a lot of kind of large banquet cooking kind of style stuff for that um so that was that was a cool unique experience but i knew i wasn't going to be there long um and i wanted to get back into camps um but i went in as a sous chef at this other camp and i didn't get any support at in fort mac and and, and i was you know 10 days of the week i was the chef because 
I had to be there when the chef wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was one chef that really, you know, um, helped me a lot. Um, uh, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, like, there's... There's, there's only so much somebody can take without as much support as they need. Um, and it got to a breaking point. But when I, I consciously knew that and, and I knew that I wanted to go in not as a manager, I needed to, I needed to learn what the business was before learn I was going to manage. Learn the environment and yeah, the culture. exactly. How can I manage or lead in an environment that I haven't even really participated in? Um, where you know a, a, a kitchen is is a kitchen is a kitchen but you know the environment really plays a role in how it's managed and what type of kitchen it is and there's a, and this is all stuff that I've learned ever since um, but in the time excuse me in the time I was very conscious of that I, I knew I had limitations now and I was humbled again um, and I wanted to get, get back into a situation where I could just go and grind out again, like just be a cook, cook a bunch of food, make a bunch of money and like go home on my time off and forget about work and then go back and do it all again. I, I, I was single. I had no worldly responsibilities. I was literally like a, a vagabond with a good paycheck. Um, and you know, I, my brothers and I eventually bought a house together, um, because I got another job in camp. Um, so I had reached out to somebody I knew from Halifax, uh, that I had met through Dave, um, who I knew was in the camp business now. Um, and so I got in touch with him and I said, Hey man, I just want to come and cook. Is there anything? And he put me in touch with the chef there. Um, we connected. Um, and I was on my way out to this camp like 48 hours later kind of a thing. Um, and it was, it was a crazy experience. I, I remember telling uh, Mad Hatters that I would finish out the, the days that I was with them. And they said, don't worry. And, and so I said, okay. And they told me to get on a plane. And I packed a bag and I was in Winnipeg overnight. Um, and then up in 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 Gillum, Manitoba the next day um and that's 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 I think where we're gonna leave this off yeah that's I mean I know you could literally do probably multiple podcasts on like each individual place you worked at like you just have so many stories from from each individual place but I think that was a pretty good uh overview of it all now you're now it's 2014 and you're out in northern manitoba working at a camp so yeah so that's where we're at (laughs) in in your story but um well let me ask you this what uh what now that we're in the entrepreneurial scene and you kind of you didn't mention a couple uh side things that you had on the go in halifax while Mm. you were working at restaurants and stuff but um what kind of sparked your fancy for for entrepreneurial stuff um you did restaurants you did corporate yeah um and you know coming from the the culinary world you have and we'll get into this later but you have a very different and interesting take um than i do Mm -hmm. on corporate versus 
yeah. independent bin- business kind of thing. Yeah, very um, much so. And, uh, and now you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think it really. Okay, so when I when I worked for this place called the Lobster Ranch in that business, um, the place that a, made you hate seafood. Yeah, as a whole, they they had some less than favorable business practices. Um, you know, and again, you kind of almost learn as much from. I have found that I've learned as much from negative experiences as I have from positive experiences. Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, I take both sides. Because you're smart. <laughs> Every experience is a learning That's right. And, and I, I, what I learned from them was you don't want to work for a small business person. Except the caveat that I didn't know at the time was you just don't want to work for a bad small business person. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that at the time. I just associated small business with no money. So when we didn't get our paychecks, with, which happened frequently, or when our tip outs were, were garnished because they needed to pay a bill or whatever, yeah. um, I associated that with the size of their business. Mm-hmm. After that point, I really wanted to have a secure job so I could grow my career. Um, so after, you know, working around the city and, and kind of reaching the peak at the peak of the places that I wanted to be, which was the bicycle thief, I was not the chef of the bicycle thief Mm -hmm. by any means, but their team was so established there that there was not much more vertical movement. Um, there was only refining of skills and I was ready to do some vertical movement at that point. Um, and, and they had a good business structure and I always got my paycheck and, and there was never a problem. And so I started to think that like these big corporations that have endless bank accounts, the bicycle thief was probably a nice in between Yeah, because they were like a local, not like Boston pizza corporate, but you know structured multiple businesses corporate. yeah totally and and you know so they they were organized and they did it right and that made me think that hey if it's a bigger company maybe they do even you know even better so um you know that's when the camp work started coming into it um and you know again i had worked for big corporations hilton but i I'd gotten to the point where locally I was going to get with my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I always crave a new learning experience. So, you know, my average time at a restaurant or or establishment was two years because there's kind of like that two year jitters like you need to to move on and 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 learn something new or do something new. And then, you know, that that brought me to corporations and then when 2020 hit just to jump ahead yeah. uh when 2020 hit um you know we i worked for a big corporation i worked for marriott hotels international i was the banquet chef for the marriott downtown calgary and the telus convention center like my my job was to feed a dining room of 1500 people like you know a couple times a week uh, amongst a bunch of other stuff and you know i knew that because they were generating so much money that I would never have a problem getting a paycheck. Um, Turns out that that's not only the problem, the business not having money. Like the Marriott had money and they could pay me uh, until they stopped having business because there are no banquets. So 
you know, um, there's a direct correlation uh, between, you know, what my job was and why I don't currently work for them anymore. Um, but it was a natural point for, for us and me to really start taking entrepreneurialism as a viable way forward. Again, my brothers have been entrepreneurs their life. They've been contractors. And, 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 and yeah, you did some smaller stuff in Halifax. Yeah. I, I always... Some smaller entrepreneurial endeavors while you were in Halifax. Yeah. Um, but yeah, was there anything... Like, did you have a bug that it would always just kind of be a side hustle? Or did you eventually see yourself in some capacity? Or... I like the idea of being my own boss um, and I've been other people's bosses and you know I handle that okay as far as I know but um, when I decided that I was done working for other people grinding out for other people every day I would go to the hotel or to camp and take care of somebody's problem or sort it out I loved doing it now um, since the pandemic, I've realized that I just need to start putting that effort into myself mm -hmm. and start putting that grind in for our own projects. Um, because in 20 years, I don't want to be getting a, a check from a corporation unless it says Todd and Grilly on it, <laughs> right? Um, we amalgamated our last names as a yeah. fun... <laughs> Yeah, so we efficiency shortening thing. Yeah, so we uh, we have fun with the name Todd and Grilly. But again, you know, my my view and my hope is that that you know I have found the opportunity to become my own boss, and that I will never fire myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I know there's always the opportunity to go back to that other world if need be but i'm just so excited and so hopefully driven enough and to to be able to make this work it's something that i'm really excited about and and again i'm just such a like i love learning even if it's useless information or useful information i well like i said you always have a pot like yeah you are constantly learning and usually it's auditory like you always have something in your earphones whether it's a youtube video or a podcast or mm -hmm. you know an interview like there's always you are you're always just absorbing information yeah and and that's one of my principles in the kitchen the day i think i know everything about being a chef is the day i'm gonna you know put my knives in the blocks hang up my apron and never walk into a kitchen again um but I never see that day happening, uh, so I'm fairly confident to to make a definitive statement like that because I learn so much every day that I'm in a kitchen. And I haven't been in a kitchen for a while, um, and one of the things I noticed that when I wasn't in a kitchen every day because, uh, you know, I didn't have a job anymore... Um, I craved learning mm -hmm. and and that was one of the real catalysts to to making myself feel okay with the fact that we were jumping into entrepreneurialism because in that time my brain was like this is not enough sweeping the house while Nikki's working at home and taking care of the cats and yeah. and you know we'll, we'll talk about what COVID was like at the beginning for yeah. us but like 
I felt we talked about it. I felt very much without a purpose. Yeah. And it was it was becoming a not a problem, but it was something that I was recognizing could become a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about these things, and th- and that's one of the things that I appreciate about our relationship is that we can talk about these things. We don't hide these things. Um, and so when it did come up, um, we talked about it and we gave some, we put some thought into it and we gave some, some projects for me to work on. Yeah. Which... And we are like, we always had entrepreneurial plans ever since pretty much the get go of our relationship. I've always been very, um, entrepreneurial driven, um, personally. Um, you know, I didn't always know what that would look like or how it would come about and you know the years we spent planning together we didn't have specific uh you know launch plans and ideas and all this sort of stuff but we were always taking ourselves in that direction um and it just serendipitously very weirdly pandemic worked out that you know it kind of just gave us that launching pad to to not to stop thinking and just start doing yeah and and that's that's a, that's about it for me, I think. <laughs> I will say, I, I do want to say something before we get too far into these uh, podcasts, to, before we get too many episodes. I mentioned you were very creative with food and stuff, but you were also very creative outside of the kitchen, thankfully, technology-wise, and uh, and even, like, like, actually creatively. So, um, everybody listening, the only reason you're listening to these podcasts is because Adam has full on taking on the responsibility of figuring out all the technology, all the, you know, it's been fun editing, all the posting, all the, all the everything technological and creative <laughs> with this podcast, because that is not my jam. So if it was up to me, I, we would, uh, Nikki's what I, we call I'd be the like, talent. <laughs> I'd be like tripping myself with cords in the bathroom because that's <laughs> what makes sense to me i don't know these things so no it's, thank you very much for taking you. this on because uh we're excited about this and this is going to be a fun project but uh would not have come to fruition without your technological and creative skills so. well that was a little little too much back padding for me but <laughs> um no it's it's, it's, it's her it's crazy true like i'm not exaggerating a minute (laughs) um yeah and and i'm still very amateur at this but again this is one of those things that we're just so excited to learn about and this is a new experience um and we love learning from new experiences so you know this is something that at some point down the road um if somebody else is starting something like this up I, i would be able to give a little guidance and me knowing that i have learned a skill is is reason enough to learn a skill um and so you know it's been very easy uh putting this podcast up on anchor.fm um <laughs> no anchor hosts this podcast um and i found about it through michael moore um so check out his podcast rumble <laughs> with michael moore um but yeah so i think that's it for my episode yeah. Um, and more stuff will come up as we go through our different origin series, but I think that was a good, a good intro to you for sure. Yeah. And, and of course, if you have any questions or follow ups about any of these weird named restaurants or, or anything or any stories, I'm going to surely have episodes where I talk about some of the wild and crazy shenanigans. Um, and we'll put a little, a little 
uh, mom warning uh, up on those <laughs> so the mothers don't listen to our episodes uh, where there's any incriminating anything. Um, but, you know, uh, there's going to be lots of episodes in the future. But so far, you know, that's me from from growing up to getting to Gillum. Um, and then next episode, we're going to get Nikki to Gillum. Um, I know she's very excited to record this. Uh, she has, she has not been procrastinating (laughs) on her outline. Not at all. Um, but, uh, I've been speaking a lot. Um, and so I'm going to wrap it up for now. (laughs) And, uh, thank you so much for listening and indulging me in my, uh, on the, off the, the top, uh, autobiography. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been fun. Yep. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll uh, see you along the road. We want to thank you so much for listening today. Remember, hit that subscribe button. And if you like what we're doing here, remember, check us out on End of the Road Beginnings on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Do 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 do